What do you guys think about comebacks? Don't you love comebacks? I mean, it's just great. I, I, uh, I love it when late in the game, the losing team rallies and they, uh, they snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Nothing is better in all of sports. I've seen so many great comebacks. I, I was trying to go through some of them. I thought of the, the drive. It's called the drive. When John Elway took the Broncos 98 yards to score in the final seconds of that AFC championship game, that was back in 1986. That was many years ago, and I feel like it happened just yesterday, thanks to YouTube. (laughs) In football, a comeback not only involves the battle against the opponent, but it's also a battle against the clock. Many times a comeback effort is stopped. It's put to an end because time runs out. Well, for that reason, baseball has an advantage. I love baseball. And there's an advantage in the comeback department. There's no clock. You're not playing by time. No game is out of reach in baseball as long as you have one more at bat. Just two nights ago, I was watching a little baseball and uh, the Detroit Tigers were playing the Yankees. And it was the top of the ninth. The score was three to one Yankees. Two outs and two strikes on uh, Cabrera. Cabrera was up to bat. Now here's what had happened. He had fouled a ball off his left kneecap. And he, he was walking around. The trainer came out. It was a long time. That obviously hurt badly. So he he's, gets recovered from that. Steps back in the box. Another pitch, he fouls off on his left foot. All on this left leg, is the stuff is happening. After he does a little hip-hop dance of pain there, he, uh, he's now not able to put all his weight on his front foot, on his left foot, and he still manages to hit a two-run homer. Ties the game up, forces it into extra innings. Now, this is where football and baseball are different. At some point in any football game, there comes a time when the lead is big enough that, you know, the winning team can kind of throttle back and coast in. They can take a knee in the final couple of minutes, let the, minutes, let the game run out. In baseball, you cannot coast out a win. You just can't do it. No lead is safe. No loss is certain until that final out got to go all the way. In a sense, life is much less like football in this respect than it is like baseball. This is part two of our series called Shaping Things to Come. We're looking at the story in Jeremiah 18. It's about a potter and a lump of clay. Last week we talked about how life isn't just a series of random events. The potter is at the wheel. God is in control, and he can redesign any mess into a masterpiece if you're willing to be remoldable. This week, we're going to go a little deeper in the story. Now, let me catch you up if you weren't here last week. Jeremiah is a prophet, and God says to him, I want you to go down to, the, to look at the potter and see what he's doing, and I'm going to speak to you through what he's doing. So Jeremiah goes there, and, and the vessel he was making was all messed up. It was marred. So he crushes it into another ball of clay and starts over. 
And then this is the word that he wants Jeremiah to tell the people. Can I not do to you what this potter does to the clay? Are you not clay in my hands? And then he goes on to say, if I want to take down a nation because of their evil and just kind of wipe them out, but then that nation turns around and, and, and does the right thing, I'll relent. I won't do that disaster that was coming on them. And he says the opposite. If, if I bless a nation and uh, they start doing evil, I'll relent and take away those blessings. And then he says that, uh, that he's planning disaster for Judah because they were doing some evil stuff. But then he says, return everyone from me. He gives them a way out. Turn away from your evil ways and turn away from your deeds. So you see, God, it goes either way. And that's what we're going to talk about today because this part of Jeremiah tells us clearly that we must play until the final out. We can't ever give up. So three things today. First of all, it's never too late to turn things around. Never too late to turn things around. That's what God is saying in one respect, that he will turn it around. Things are going bad. You do what God wants you to do, what he wants you to do, things turn around. I often hear these alarmist preachers. They preach God's judgment on America. And they, the way they do it, though, it kind of sounds like a done deal. But guess what? It's not a done deal. What's worse than that, I've heard people condemn certain individuals as if God's judgment on them was a done deal. But guess what? It's not a done deal. At least not yet. Worse than all of that, I've heard people assume their own condemnation as if God's judgment on themselves is a done deal. They say, you know, I've committed this sin, so God's going to get even with me. Or they say, you know, I got saved and then I backslid. I, I got so far, there's no use in trying. It's too late. I'm here to tell you that it's not too late. It's not a done deal. You can still get things turned around. The people of Nineveh is a great example of this. They, they, they are not really the focus of the story of Jonah and the whale most, most of the time. It's usually about Jonah. But uh, after the fish spit Jonah out on the beach, he was told to go to these people of Nineveh. And uh, this is what he told the Ninevites. You've got 40 days to turn around, to turn towards God, before he brings judgment on this city. Now, Jonah didn't even want to do this. He had no hope for them. But what happened? The Ninevites turned around. And guess what else didn't happen? Judgment. God's judgment did not fall on that tribe, that nation. This works for nations. It works for cities and towns. And it works for individuals. If you will turn away from the things that you know aren't pleasing to God and you turn toward Jesus, you can change the course of your life. And the result of that is the outcome of your life is different. I read a story about someone's father-in-law. This guy's name is Robert. The father-in-law's name is Robert. 
Robert had always been something of a scoundrel. He owned a lumber yard that was always on the brink of bankruptcy because Robert spent every extra cent on whiskey, cards, and women. But he was in church every Sunday morning. The writer said that for years he despised his father-in-law because he treated his family so thoughtlessly. And he was such a religious hypocrite. Finally, at the age of 54, God got a hold of Robert. Robert surrendered the leadership to the leadership of Jesus Christ, and his life took a new direction. He died about 15 years later, having gone from a net worth in the minus hundreds of thousands to being quite comfortable financially, providing well for his family. And most importantly, Robert felt uh, left behind a legacy of being a loving husband, father, and grandfather, and being a genuine spiritual leader in his church. See, so many people are convinced, you know, it's just too late for me. I've had this habit too long. I've been this way all my life. I've never had victory in this area. I've failed again and again and again, and it's just too late for me. Maybe you felt that way, but it's not too late. Actually, there's a test you can perform to see if it's not too late for you. Very simple test. First, you place your second and third finger on the inside of your wrist. If you can feel anything like a pulse happening there, you qualify. It's not too late for you. got to get things turned around. Your future, listen, your future is written in clay, not in stone. It's not hard pottery. It's clay. There's still time to change the direction of your life. That's the message we get from Jeremiah 18. It's never too late to turn things around. Here's the second thing. It's never too late to mess things up. The other side of the coin. That's not very good news, but it's, it's a sobering thought that we cannot afford to ignore. Every great comeback story in every sporting competition has something in common. On the flip side of the comeback is a team who blew the lead, sometimes a big lead. Remember that 2008 Super Bowl? The New England Patriots, the New York Giants. The Patriots came into that game undefeated. And uh, Manning, Eli Manning, he was kind of known as an underachiever. But he brought that team in a great comeback, and they won the game. He pulled it off. Think of the Patriots, though. They were 30 seconds from a perfect season. 30 seconds. Can you imagine how bad that offseason was for them? That must have been a long time. Jeremiah 18 is a reminder that you will never reach the place where you've arrived. You will never reach the place where you can coast your way into victory. In a few weeks, we're going to be implementing what we call a simple process. You know, all these meetings we've had, a lot of you have heard about them. We've been trying to organize things around what we call a simple process.
process. It's very simple to understand. But what it's for is to challenge us all to be willing or to allow God to transform us into the image of his son, Jesus. Now, something you will notice about this, we're going to start a series in a couple weeks teaching on it. Something you're going to notice about it is that there is no finish line. Not at all. You don't stop. It's a continuum. It just kind of keeps going like a figure eight. It just keeps on going. And, and it's, it's because the process of becoming Christ-like never ends. We can always become a little bit more like Jesus. We're not Jesus, but that's our goal, to become transformed into the image of Jesus. So remember that when we start talking about it. There is no finish line. It's because if we're not careful, we will succumb to the titanic fallacy. You know what that is? That's, that's when we think we're too big to fail. I'm too good of a Christian. I'm too deep in the faith to ever slide back now. The Titanic was touted as unsinkable, right? The line you probably remember from the movie is, God himself couldn't sink this ship. They got that line from what is believed to be historical in in this company, the White Star Line. Some employee in that company supposedly said this line, that God, even God couldn't sink it. Well, as it turns out, God didn't sink the Titanic. Something much less powerful than God sunk the Titanic. An iceberg. A mere iceberg. And the the great mistake was that White Star was irresponsible. They were a little reckless with everything. The sobering truth is that you're never too big to fail. In recent years, we've seen this played out in the business world. We've seen it in the political arena. We've seen it in the sports world, for sure. Sadly, we see it happening in the Christian world. There's a story about a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks were frequent. And a group of concerned citizens decide to build a rescue station. They put up a little hut with one boat The devoted few kept watch over the sea, risking their lives and rescuing many people. After a while, the station became famous. More and more people wanted to be part of this mission. Money came in to buy new boats and replace the emergency cots with modern hospital beds. They even tore down the cheap hut and built a new multi-purpose facility. The station soon became a popular gathering place for its members. As more and more people attended the social events, fewer and fewer people had any interest in going to sea. One day, a large ship wrecked off the coast. Boatloads of cold, wet, frightened people were brought in. Some were sick, some were unsavory, and all were desperate. Their presence upset many members of the club. They said, if we allow our facilities to be overrun by these people, it will become run down and we'll be expected to pay for the repairs. Let's make a new rule. No more shipwreck victims in our club. There were some who protested. Wait a minute. We are first and foremost a life-saving station. We can't close our doors to those who need us most. 
The team leaders said, if you're not happy with the way we do things here, go start your own station down the coast. And so they did. This scenario has played out in many churches, in many ministries. Sometimes they just drift around and fizzle out. But the point is that when ministries begin to think they're, they've arrived or they're unsinkable, they ultimately squander their own future. That happens in marriages. It happens in people's workplaces. It happens in people's spiritual lives. They reach a point where they say, I'm unsinkable. But listen, you are sinkable. I am sinkable. It can happen to any of us. This is why Paul says, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God-confidence. He's reminding, that it, reminding us that it's never too late to mess things up. Now, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm, I'm trying to just say, look, be cautious. The same way I would say, hey, put your seatbelt on when you get in your car. Or maybe you should lock your door when you go on vacation, the door of your house. Or look both ways when you cross the street. That's all it is. I'm just saying, be careful with your conduct. Don't try to coast. Take a close look at what you're doing today and ask yourself, where is this road leading me? Here's one more thing we get from Jeremiah 18. It's never too late to take responsibility for your life. Never too late. That's really what it all comes down to. Be willing to take ownership of your own life. To, to look at where you've been, and where you are, and where you're headed. That's why God said through this prophet Jeremiah, return everyone from his evil way. Amend your ways and your deeds. The book of Jeremiah is basically a call for a nation to repent. Judah, repent, turn around, go the other way. They had fallen into sinful, idolatrous behavior. They were doing the wrong things. Their nation was headed in the wrong direction. Their nation was headed toward disaster. Now here's the tendency when this happens. The tendency is, you know what? Things aren't really the way they should be around here. Somebody needs to do something. You know? You know how it goes. That usually means someone other than me. Earlier I mentioned preachers that, that preach the impending judgment of God's wrath on America. Have you ever listened to the way they say it, though? It's interesting. They'll say things like, America needs to do this. America needs to do that. As if America is this one decision-making unit. Well, we know that's not true. You can't decide what America will do. You can't even decide what your kids will do. <laughs> but you can decide what you will do. You can only decide what you will do. And you, individually, will be held accountable, accountable for what you individually do. That's why God said, return everyone from his evil way. 
amend your ways, your deeds. Another translation makes this verse even clearer. This is the New International Version. It says, turn from your evil ways, each one of you. See, he's not speaking to a group as a whole as much as he's speaking to each individual that makes up that group. He's saying, you take responsibility for you. You take responsibility for your life, for what you do. Instead of seeking solace in this idea that I will do right when everybody else does right, we need to be able to stand up, each one of us, and say, I will take responsibility for me. Jeremiah is not just saying in this passage of Scripture, he's not just saying you are like clay in the potter's hand. He's also saying the future is like clay in your hands. You have a responsibility. You have a part in all this. Your future is not written in stone. It's written in clay. Just like baseball, no lead is safe. No loss is certain. You have to play until the final out. It's not too late to win. It's not too late to lose. And it's not too late to get in the game. The message of Jeremiah 18 is that you will never get to the point where it doesn't matter. Where what you do doesn't matter. Some people hear these words as a threat. This gets kind of scary to some people. I hear these words as a precious promise. It's a promise that says every day is important. Every single day is important. Every day you can move in the direction of God's blessing. Every day you can take steps to be freed from yesterday's mistakes. Every day you can take greater control of your circumstances. Every day you can see more of the glory of God coming into your life. Every day. Here's a great Bible passage to remember at the start of every day. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Today, when you got out of bed, was a do-over. If you screw it up today, guess what tomorrow is? A do-over. Every morning, God's mercies are fresh. They're new. You get a do-over. So it's not too late. So keep playing until the final out. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for showing us this today. We thank you for encouraging us to keep going. We thank you for warning us that every day has a chance that we would slip. But thank you, Lord, for turning back around and encouraging us again that your mercies are new today, tomorrow, and every day. They're fresh. Lord, I thank you that you kept playing until the final out, until that day of crucifixion. (laughs) And it turned out not to be an out at all. It was a grand slam. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we just ask that you'd help us to stay in the game, 
with all of our might and when we run out of strength, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would take over. We thank you for this. We thank you for all your love for us. We thank you for the love we can share with each other in this place. And we thank you that you've given us so much of that that we can spill over into the people around us, the communities around us. And we thank you for it all in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen.